0: when the kids would go to school, I would find myself, um, you know, in my office, just kind of searching Alibaba for different electric vehicle types. And I started uh, just importing and purchasing different samples of everything, everything from electric skateboards to, you know, hoverboards to one wheels to electric bikes. Um, And finally, um, purchased an electric scooter. and, And when I rode that um, just really loved riding it. It was super easy to to do and very enjoyable. It, it actually made you feel free when you when you when you rode it. And so my wife and I would would take the uh, the early scooters prototypes uh, down the boardwalk, and we would go to college campuses and just ride them around. And uh, always people would stop us and say, "Hey, that's super cool. Can I ride that? Or where did you get that? How can I buy one?" And so it was pretty clear early on that um, that the electric scooter was it felt like a winner. So we wanted to really uh, double down on that and, and give it a try.
1: Shh,
2: you shouldn't tell anyone, but there is a family for the most ambitious entrepreneurs in Europe. We help you getting the right mindset, the right tools, the right people, the right knowledge, to build the next giant tech companies in Europe. So, if you're from Poland, Denmark, Spain, any country in Europe, join us and let's create the future together. This is the Family Podcasts, where we give you access to top content from top, top, top level speakers that we gathered at the family during events. And today, it's one of the sexiest company ever with an amazing growth, an amazing product. That can change micro mobility in big cities. You will listen to an interview between Travis van der who who is the founder and CEO of Bird, the e-scooters that you saw everywhere in Paris or in big cities, with Martin Mignot, who is a partner at Index Ventures and who knows a lot about transportation companies because he invested in companies such as BlaBlaCar, Captain Train, Deliveroo, etc., and Bird. So actually, these e-scooters that we see everywhere, this is Travis's idea. He was the first to actually put free-floating e-scooters like this. And he's not a rookie at all. He was the founder of Cherry that was acquired by Lyft. He was the COO of Lyft, yeah, and then became a VP at Uber. So the guy knows a lot about mobility, knows a lot about the future of transportations, and really, really is convinced and hope will convince you as well that mobility can change in big cities and it can make the cities breathe. So we will talk about the market, the new trends, he'll make a big announcement and he'll also give a few tips about what do you need to do in order to get to this kind of level. One hint, it's all about passion.
1: So it's good to be back uh, back home and I, I, love, I love being here. Uh, and, uh, and super excited to be with uh, with Travis. Uh, it's it's uh, it's a space I'm slightly obsessed about. You know, anyone who kind of follows me on Twitter will probably have, have noticed. And uh, and anyone who doesn't follow me on Twitter, what are you guys waiting for? I mean, that's that's the way to start. So um, you know, I love I love the space. And actually, you know, Travis is the main the main culprit for for my my love and obsession for the space because we invested in the company uh, more than a year and a half ago when, when you guys just, you know, just started in, in Santa Monica. And, and the thing with, with what, what, what they do is that when you start thinking about the space that's allocated to cars in city, you can't you know, stop unseeing it. And uh, you know, then you start thinking, how come we're using two tons of metal to move our 60, 70, 80 kilos of bodies while something that weighs 16 kilos, like an e-scooter, can do the job just, just as well. And why are we giving away so much space to the cities? And when you start thinking about it, then you, just become, you have to become obsessed because more than half of the space in any city is dedicated to cars, and it just makes absolutely no sense. And, uh, and so you know, Travis, as, uh, as Vlad mentioned, he's a bit of a legend in the micromobility scene because he's the
0: one who actually came up with, with the whole concept. Uh, we, we we couldn't have done it without the the index uh, folks. That's, they that's, they actually uh, when they invested and we first met, uh, Bird was still operating out of a WeWork uh, in in Santa Monica in in Los Angeles, and we were we were still pretty small. I remember we were giving the presentation to Index, with, you know, with the in the WeWork conference room with the glass, and people were kind of peeking in. Because uh, you had uh, a lot of the partners there, but it's uh, it's been exciting to partner with with you guys.
1: Yeah, that was all rehearsed, obviously, as you can as you can tell. Um, so, so look, super excited to be here, and and uh, and you know, first question for for
0: Travis is really, you know, what what brings you to Paris? You know, I think there are some big some big news. Yeah, so um, you know, in, in Paris, love the city of Paris. So first off, I'm happy to come here any any time. Uh, we do uh, have a, a pretty big team here already, so out here meeting with the team, but we do have an exciting announcement that I think hit just hit this morning uh, that we're setting up a European headquarters here in, in Paris. Uh, we already have 100 a, a employees here, um, uh, operational and uh, uh, you know management and, and communications and a bunch of different functions, but we want to continue to expand that uh, and we're committing to 1,000 employees over the next uh, two years to really uh, invest even heavier into the city of, of Paris, we think it 's a great city for micro mobility and, and for bird, and so we 're excited to be here
1: so what uh, I mean first wow, I mean a thousand thousand people in, in paris it 's a pretty pretty massive commitment. What makes paris such a good such a good city? How come you, you go in a room and you get i don 't know seventy five percent of people who have already used an e scooter
0: yeah well, look, I think Paris is a great city for e scooters in particular and micro mobility because obviously it 's a uh, a lot of people. It's a very dense area, um, and uh, you know, it's it's uh, P- Paris has. There's only so many roads, as you know. There's a big traffic problem in the city. There's a lot of cars that we're trying to jam into. You know, city infrastructure that have been built. You know, uh, 100 plus years ago, uh, and so there's. Uh, you know, it's not just Paris though. We're seeing cities across the world are really starting to break. There's not enough road space to keep pumping more and more cars in. Um and so for us, you know, I grew up, my mother was a public bus driver for 30 years, and so I grew up in witnessing kind of public transportation uh and ended up in in ride sharing. And my time in ride sharing realized we were using two-ton you know vehicles to really move people around very short distances. But uh and ride sharing had a positive impact, I think, on on things like reducing drinking and driving and some parking challenges in cities. But in a lot of cases, uh we were making traffic worse and carbon emissions actually worse in cities. Um, and, and it didn't seem to make sense that we would use a massive two-ton you know, car to really move people these short distances and felt like there, there had to be a better way. We think um, uh, you know, short-range short electric vehicles, in particular electric scooters, are a great solution for that. But our True North as a company is any solution that helps get people... Uh, out of cars. And so we're excited about that.
1: Can you give a sense for the size of the of the operation in, in, in Paris? So we know how many employees, in terms of how many users and riders, and, 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 and how long has, has the business been going here? Uh,
0: so we've been operating almost a year now in, in Paris. Um, we, it's, you know, it, it had been one of our biggest cities uh, globally. Um, we have recently pulled back our fleet uh, to around 4,000 vehicles in Paris because we, we are working closely with the city. Uh, on figuring out what is the, where's the, where are the right areas to park, how do we do this in an orderly fashion. Um, we're doing this, it's not unique to Paris, but we are working with cities across the world because what we're finding is cities really want to help get uh, people out of cars, um, but they also, the infrastructure just isn't there yet on, on the parking side uh, in particular, and in a lot of cases, the bike lane side. And so we want to work with cities through this transition. Uh, anytime you do a transit, big transition in transportation, transportation, um, you know, it, it can, be, can be a little rocky, and it takes a little time, but we think ultimately it's a great transition for the world to, to try to get out of cars. Um, uh, you know, sometimes we talk uh, about how 100, over 100 years ago, people used to get around on horseback, um, and then when cars came around, people were like, wow, these ca- cars are, are crazy. There's no place for them to park. There's no place for them to go, and they're running horses off the road, um, and it was actually a, a very long transition from horseback to cars. It was about 20 years uh, that it took to make that transition. Uh, thankfully, I think the transition to micromobility and alternatives to cars um, will hopefully be faster than that. Um, but clearly, we need to all work together uh, as a society and, and with cities to figure out what is the the most graceful way to make that transition, because yeah. uh, the city infrastructure just really wasn't built for electric scooters.
1: That, that's, that's, that was kind of my... my... Uh, introduction point around, you know, what I love about what you do is, is, you know, it asks questions of things that we all took for granted. You know, we never ask ourselves, how was the city before there were cars? How did we build all of the infrastructure? I mean, we were, you know, we were born, all of us, I think we we're all young enough to, you know, to, to were born and raised in, in a city that was already like this with, you know, all of the space for cars. And what you guys are, are creating is this question, you know, like, how, like could it be different? You know, and then why is it that, that way? So I think that, that's quite that's quite profound. Uh, as, as an as an impact, um, so you mentioned you know there has been some you know some rocky. Obviously, you know the transition is, is not easy because cars are there and they are well you know well encroached on, on the public space, uh, and and people have been complaining about you know a lot of it is around you know parking and speeding, kind of safety. So how are you solving? And I have to say I've had some pretty heated conversation, you know, even, you know, at some family reunions where you have, you know, the scooter fans, again, the, the scooter haters a little bit. Uh, so how do you navigate and how we, you know, how can you make, make scooters just part of a normal life the same way, you know, cars and, and bicycles and, and pedestrians are? How do you how do you organize a city to make everything work together?
0: Yeah, it's, it's a great question and I think that's why we are trying to work with the cities to figure out how do we have dedicated parking uh, throughout cities. Um, outside of Paris, we're working with a bunch of cities to, Uh, actually give uh, one parking space from a car every city block in the downtown area and and make that into parking for micromobility. And what we're finding is local businesses love that because you can fit 10 to 15 scooters in the same space that you can fit one car, which means it's a lot more leverage on that public space and you can have more people come and go. And so as a local business, that's the most important thing. And so we're really finding strong allies with local businesses that want more and more customers uh, coming in. And we think, you know, uh, in in cities around the world, it would be super interesting if one parking spot uh, on every block was taken from cars given to micromobility. We think that's a super interesting solution. In Paris, of course, they've already um, uh, said, you know, we should park in the, in the moped uh, parking space or the other scooter parking space. And so we, we now on the map have over 4,000 dedicated parking areas uh, in Paris. Um, and and they're, so, they're
1: also making ways from from car parking, right? To yeah, and, it's on, a, and on the road on the, on the car. Right.
0: This week, they started spray painting some dedicated micromobility uh, parking throughout the city. So I think these are all great steps towards uh, how do we make a transition away from. Uh, from cars and we're seeing cities really around the world embrace that and uh, but clearly we all need to work together to figure out you know what's the most graceful way to do that and that's why in the short term we've pulled back our fleet a little bit in in Paris.
1: I think one thing, one, one thing related to the government relation that's quite in, very interesting at, at, at your company is that you know, clearly governments and local authorities are a key stakeholder for for your business and and so internally you also organize that way so so I think you have a, a product Team focused on building tools for, for the local authorities. Can you tell us a bit about you know, how you organize internally you know, to, to you know work best with, with government? And what kind of tools are you are you building for them?
0: Yeah, so we we have a team, pretty big team internally at BERG called the Gov Tech Team. And they're constantly building new technologies that uh, are really designed for cities. Uh, I always say if you start a transportation company, two things need to be true. Number one, cities need to be your number one customer. And two, safety needs to be your number one priority. Um, and so for us on the on the city number one customer, we the GovTech team is constantly building uh, different solutions to try to solve some of these problems. So, uh, for example, the dedicated parking in Paris, we were able to, uh, the GovTech team was able to react very quickly and, and roll out that dedicated parking. Now when you take, at the end of your ride, you take a picture and we actually have a, uh, a, a team of, of people, but also we're using some other machine learning things and vision recognition things just to identify how is the parking, uh, is the parking good or, or not. Uh, some things like sidewalk riding detection. Uh, it turns out, it sounds easy maybe if you're not in the tech world. I know most of you are, probably understand technology and it's using GPS to determine if somebody's riding on a sidewalk is, is basically impossible, yeah. especially in urban environments. And so we're working on all sorts of other uh, technology to, uh, try to try to help detect if people are on, on sidewalks. And so there's a bunch of exciting things that we're working on for GovTech.
1: And on, and on the hardware side, so are we, what are we going to see next on, on, on the street? So you announced this pretty cool kind of two-seaters, electric. I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, w- w- Have you come up with a new word for that type of vehicle? What's
0: uh, we just call it the Bird Cruiser. The Cruiser, uh, okay. Just, so it's a, it's a cruiser. Is that um, is that coming to Paris? Is that coming it's, to Europe? Or? Well, it's, we haven't announced in Paris yet. But we, we we would be open to that. I think it's a matter of you know, does it make sense? Does the city think it makes sense given given uh, you know the other modes of modality that that they have? But the the cruiser we think is exciting because it's it's a combination of an e-bike and an e-moped. Uh, really, really, in one, um, and it's, so it's, so it 's lighter weight than a than a moped, but uh, uh, but but you can fit two people on it safely and and uh, we think it 's a very exciting vehicle. The, the response so far has been very strong, and, and we 're going to be rolling that out in the u s uh, this summer and then hopefully uh, Europe to follow but But I do think the vehicle we have about a hundred uh, vehicle engineers that come from companies like Tesla and Faraday and uh, the vehicle engineering is a is a critical piece in this business, and so we continue to iterate fast uh, on the hardware. We started with uh, Bird Zero, which we rolled out last last fall, um, and now we're rolling out Bird One, uh, as you know, uh, th- throughout the world as well. Which we've tried yesterday. and It's
1: a pretty yeah. pretty sweet ride.
0: Yeah, I think you were one of the first in Paris to to ride the Bird One. <laughs>
1: it is beautiful. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and are they now lasting long enough? I mean, obviously there has been a lot of these rumors going around that you know, these scooters last for, for months and it's not you know, environmentally friendly yeah. and it's all going to waste. Yeah. What's, your, what's your response to that?
0: Yeah, so well, we were the first in the world to, to do the electric scooter sharing and the, the, the problem with being the first was it turned out nobody in China was building ruggedized electric scooters. And so there wasn't really hardware off the shelf we could use. Um, so what what so I so what
1: does what does ruggedized mean?
0: Well, so for us, ruggedized is, and I'm not sure if that's a, a word that translates well, but um, but you know the 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 early scooters that they, they were built for really an ownership use case. They were built to be ridden like once a day by by a, by a person that that owns it and doesn't leave it outside. And so what we saw is the the early scooters, and we knew this would be the case because we just bought them on Alibaba.com and just ship shift them into. LA because we, we didn't know if people would even ride them at the time, and so it's kind of still a test. Uh, but the batteries were incredibly small and the vehicles would break down a lot, uh, which of course is uh, uh, pretty expensive. And so the early scooters, um, it's definitely true, only lasted you know two, three months. But it wasn't a surprise to us. So in parallel, we were building out a pretty, a pretty big vehicle engineering team to work on the future hardware. That was really designed for this this use case, and now we're excited that Bird Zero, on average, is lasting over 12 months. So we went from uh, a scooter that's lasting two to three months to a scooter lasting over 12 months, and it's fundamentally changed the game on on the the economics of the business. And we keep hearing it's a it's it's a more enjoyable ride and a safer ride as well.
1: Yeah, and and is is the hardware the main differentiation with with the competition? I mean, obviously there's a handful of them. Uh, Today, you know, in Paris, being one of the, the most competitive yeah. cities, is, is is the hardware the main the main part of differentiation. With yeah, days? I
0: think I think it is, and it might not be noticeable yet. But there's, uh, I think, over the course of the next six to 12 months, people are really going to start to see a, a big delta in the hardware, um, you know, that's that's out there. And we've certainly invested heavily. Uh, in fact, in addition to rolling out Bird One, um, now we we have uh, Bird Two. Uh, already, uh, that we're riding around the R&D center, and and we're targeting Q4 uh, for BERT too. So we're looking at very fast iteration on the hardware, and I think that that will be a, a big you know competitive advantage for Bird.
1: And you and and do you think that that pace of development is going to slow down eventually, and, and you, you'll get to maturity, or or do you see that that race to, to better you know bigger battery and 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 better hardware, yeah. keep, you know continuing for the for the.
0: The next what five five years ten years yes yeah, so, so I I uh, I always compare the um, you know this space to really the cell phone space and so I joined uh, the cell phone world I was working on uh, mobile app stores back in two thousand and two uh, and that was about five years before the iPhone yeah. and and the the hardware on the cell phones just uh, you know from from you know back then it was the small flip phones and it was even before the Motorola Razor and then. Uh, you saw like incredible innovation on, on the cell phone side, and I think you're going to see that in the micro mobility side, where there continues to be very fast iteration. But I don't think it's it's going to slow down anytime soon. Did
1: you when you when you got started, did you did you imagine that there would be that level of competition, investment in the space, kind of race to, to scale? I mean, was that did you did you have that planned already from from the get go, or, or have you been a bit surprised by by yeah. that?
0: Yes, yeah, so we thought there would be competition. So for the first really six to nine months of the company, we, we tried to do no press and, and really stay off the, the radar as much as possible. But it has been one of the things that surprised me the most is the, just the level of, of folks that have tried to do this um, at scale. And I think, um, you know, it's, I think the good news is there's a lot of folks interested in helping get people out of cars. And ultimately, at Bird, we, we continue to think our biggest competitor is cars, um so if you look at a city like like Paris, you know, there's half a million to a million cars uh on the road. I think in the in the region there's I've heard estimates as high as 5 5 million cars. Oh. And so if if us and the other micro mobility players only have, you know, 20,000, 25,000 scooters, uh clearly those you know other micro mobility companies are not the competitors. It's actually cars that are the competitors and we and we think having fewer cars on the road is is ultimately good for everybody. And do you
1: uh, do you see Bird platform? And do you want to talk a bit about Bird platform yeah. and, and how that's helping you as well in you know kind of extend your reach and, and, and differentiate?
0: Yeah. So we're um, you know as we mentioned, the the mission of the company is to try to get people out of cars, not just in the U.S. and Europe, but really globally. But we also recognize as a company we don't have the resources to to really roll out Bird everywhere in the world. And so we built Bird platform, which is the ability. Um, for local entrepreneurs around the globe to uh, purchase the bird vehicles, which we think are, uh, you know, way, way far ahead of anything else you can buy in, in China. And we sell them at cost to the entrepreneur. And then they, we give them the the whole tech stack. It's almost like a, a SaaS application, software as a service. Um, and then they operate in, in their local market. And so we're, we've, uh, we've signed dozens of deals now uh, globally. Uh, of entrepreneurs that want to take Bird into their local region from Latin America to New Zealand to uh, even in, in, in Canada. Uh, we do have some folks in Europe that that have been been starting to do it as well. So we think it's you an have exciting in Marseille, right? Which is yeah, o- is operating on that. Model. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, uh, we, so if we anyone
1: wants to start a, a <laughs> number 13 scooter companies in Paris, <laughs> then uh, you know where you know
0: where to ask? But I do think, and one of the reasons uh, we've been able to sign so many, so many people uh, globally is they've recognized that this, the scooter hardware really matters in this this space, and the technology really does matter. And I think, um, you know, we've we've uh, we have a lot of you know, Bird, Bird now makes actually from an economic stand, standpoint makes money on every every ride, which is important for us because we can continue to uh, scale into the future and be around for decades to come. But we. We have seen that some of the smaller scooter companies lose up to twenty dollars per ride, and so if you don't have the right technology and the right hardware, uh, you can lose an incredible amount of money in in this industry. and And I think, uh, I think that's potentially why we've seen some of the players in Paris uh, start to pull out.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, and what's fascinating is the speed at, at which that whole market is is shaping up. I mean, three months ago, it was you know Paris was in, was in crisis mode. Thirteen, twenty, you know, twelve, thirteen operators, scooters everywhere. And then you know, fast forward three months later, there are only you know five or six left, really, and, and you really only see probably you know three or four in the streets, and everything has been you know kind of kind of cleaned up. I mean, do you, do you think in the in the long run this is two three operator market globally, or is it going to be you know market by market? You're going to have different different combinations. What's what
0: what is the end game in terms of the, the market the market dynamics? Yeah, I do, I do think uh, like like most industries, it it will merge down to two or three you know, major major players. Uh, we saw that in the, in the ride-hailing space. Um, uh, you know, when, when I first got into ride-hailing, there was a lot of com- competitors and, and copycats, but in the US it merged down to two players very quickly. And, and in most regions around the world, it, it tend to merge down to two or three players. Uh, and that, by the way, is in, in ride-hailing, there actually was really not a global advantage uh, there. There's you no know, economies of scale in particular on the, on the supply side, uh, whereas with in micro-mobility, because this is a hardware-driven business, um, as we're a global company and we're doing more and more vehicles and more and more rides, the, the cost of our vehicles keep coming down, and so it actually becomes very difficult for a small regional player to, to compete with us because of that hardware-scale advantage.
1: Yeah, you, you always said that you know, in ride-hailing, where, where your experience is from, any new cohort of drivers is harder to... Acquire and of worse quality. Yeah. So actually, there's, there's this economy of scale, so, you know, so to speak. What, what with you guys, it's it's the other way around.
0: Yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think that was one of our insights with Bird. Is um, you know, so I, I ran worldwide driver uh, side at, at Uber, and uh, my mother was a bus driver for 30 years, as I mentioned. My sister's still a bus driver today, and so I love working with the drivers. Um, but what I will say is. Um, you know, it, it got more and more difficult in a city to find more drivers, and it got more expensive o- over time to, to find those drivers. And uh, the great thing about the, the hardware-driven business is um, you know, uh, the cost of our hardware uh, gets lower over time while the vehicle itself is actually getting better. Uh, and so I think it's a key difference with uh, micro-mobility relative to the, the ride hailing space. And, um,
1: and and the other thing you mentioned that I thought was quite interesting around around the kind of pricing dynamics, the fact that as you know opposed to ride hailing, people have to go to the scooters and so they may be a little bit you know less price sensitive and you know because they have to make an effort to go pick a scooter a bit further out. I mean, is that can you can you explain yeah. that phenomenon which I think was yeah. was quite counterintuitive?
0: Well, so I, I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs here and a lot of folks probably uh, thinking about fundraising or they are fundraising. And one of the things, you know, investors always worry about, I know uh, Index and others think about is, is this industry a race to the bottom on, on pricing? You know, as competitors come on, online, do the prices keep getting uh, driven down? Uh, and I, I think in ride hailing, that is what, what we saw is because people would sit on the couch and they would just say, okay, whichever service is cheaper, you know, even if it's two minutes further away, I'll just wait for it. Uh, in the case of micro mobility and, and e-scooters, you know, most people were finding just want the closest scooter when they when they walk out of a cafe or they walk out of a, a building. And so we're seeing that people are, are less maybe price sensitive uh, to it. But the price is all, The other point is the price is so low yeah. already because you don't have to, you know, you're not paying the driver. Uh, so the price is incredibly low. And m- most people, you know, think it's very affordable relative to taking a, an Uber or uh, even owning a car,
1: and as you said, I think with scale, prices should theoretically, you know, you you know, you could afford to bring them down once once the battery lasts twice longer and the hardware lasts twice longer. I mean, then you know, you get you get more room in, in the long run. Yeah.
0: yeah, exactly. I mean, you bring up the the batteries. It's you know, the battery capacity keeps getting bigger and bigger. So Bird Zero had two x the two times the battery capacity of the original vehicles, which means you know, the economics keep getting better, and the future uh, vehicles we're working on have another 2x improvement on batteries, even over Bird Zero. And going back to
1: the foundation, the foundational moment of, of the business, I mean, you come from, you know, Bird Driver family, you work for ride hailing, and you live in LA, which is not, not necessarily seen as the most kind of, you know, cycling friendly, or, or kind of micro city in the world. You know, it is very much a car dominated. How do you come up with the idea of, okay, instead of you know, using big and, and also you know cars are getting bigger and heavier and bulkier. So the trends seem to be going all the way to bigger vehicles for smaller you know bigger people as well. Actually, but um, but how and you decided okay no, no, no screw that we'll go for like basically a kid you know toy scooter uh, and to get these people moving around instead. How, how did, where did that insight come from?
0: Uh, well, it was really a few things. Uh, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, my time in ride-hailing. Uh, we were using the two-ton vehicles to move people around incredibly short distances. I mean, it's really, you know, two, three-mile trips and then airport trips are primarily what the trips are. And so it's, it seemed very obvious to me, at least, that, uh, you know, we needed to come up with a, a smaller vehicle uh, to help move people around those, those short-distance trips. One of the reasons I got excited about e-scooters was... Uh, you know, I bought uh, one year for Christmas. I think it was probably Christmas of 2016, roughly. Uh, bought my daughters. I have two two daughters, five and eight. And I bought them. I bought them bikes for Christmas, and they were so excited. And you know, I took them outside and you know was teaching them how to ride the bikes. You know, without without the training wheels. And they were very excited about the bikes. But then the next day, they woke up and they're like, "Daddy, can we just ride our scooters again today?" And so. You know, anybody who has kids, I think, knows that kids today love riding scooters, and we felt like adults would love it as well if you made it bigger and had an electric motor, uh, to which would allow them to get around the cities very easily.
1: And how did you find that vehicle? I mean, uh, how did, did, were you selling them, and what was the how did you bump into this this, this Xiaomi, the first the first electric? Because that wasn't really a, a thing, right? I mean, it was
0: yeah. So I, at the time I was, you know, I was already had left Uber and uh, was taking time off to spend time with the, the, the kids and the family. And when the kids would go to school, I would find myself, um, you know, in my office just kind of searching Alibaba for different electric vehicle types. And I started uh, just importing and purchasing different samples of everything, everything from electric skateboards to, you know, hoverboards to one wheels to electric bikes um, and finally, um, purchased an electric scooter, and, and when I rode that, um, just really loved riding it. It was super easy to to do and very enjoyable. It it actually made you feel free when you when you when you rode it. And so, my wife and I would would take the uh, the early scooters prototypes uh, down the boardwalk, and we would go to college campuses and just ride them around. And uh, always people would stop us and say, hey, that's super cool. Can I ride that? Or where did you get that? How, can I buy one? And so it was pretty clear early on that, um, that the electric scooter was, it felt like a winner. So we wanted to really uh, double down on that and, and give it a try.
1: And then, so you, and and, and you combined that vehicle with the kind of free-floating bike-sharing model of just putting a QR code on it and, and, and unlocking it that way. So leveraging smartphones, basically, too
0: yeah so. yeah i personally um don't in the u s we call it dockless uh here it's free floating um, you know to me i 've never really loved the term because the reality is cars are free floating yes. right and dockless, and we have dockless cars everywhere and free floating cars everywhere um, just about every vehicle is is free so, floating yeah. um, and so I think it's just a matter of like finding dedicated parking but free the concept yeah. of free floating you know i think is it's kind of one of these things that people just forget that cars are, are already free-floating. Yeah. Uh, we, we do lock the scooters in some markets. We're actually uh, open to that as well, you know, if, if the city requires it or thinks it makes sense. But what we find is most cities don't have the the bike infrastructure, the bike-locking infrastructure, to actually uh, allow us to, to lock the scooters up. Yeah. What's your,
1: you know, fast-forward kind of, you know, 10 years, what's your ambition for, for, for the business? I mean, are you... You see yourself being acquired by one of the, you know, the ride-hailing guys? Do you see yourself as an independent company? You know, what's your, where do you want to to, to go with, you know, with Bird?
0: Yeah, uh, I, we definitely want to stay independent. We're we're having a lot of fun, and uh, we think this is a massive opportunity. And we're just just scratching the surface with, uh, you know, the the impact we think we can have on, on moving people uh, out of out of cars and cities really around the world, and so. Uh, it's one of these businesses that um, you know it's super fun business to to operate, um, but it also we think is having a very positive impact on the world, and so it's uh, it's it's really rare to I think find a business like that, and so we're we're excited to stay independent. Uh, plus, I worked long enough in the the ride-hailing space.
1: <laughs> any 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 learning from from obviously, you know, a lot of learning from your ride-hailing experience, uh, but anything that you decided to do differently this time around? I mean, you've seen you know, Lyft and Uber scale rapidly sometimes, not necessarily in the most efficient way. What, what, what are your key takeaways and, and how have you decided to do things differently in, in your organization and, and the way you've expanded internationally, especially with
0: Bird? Yeah, so one of the things we're doing differently, I think is you know, culturally is very important to us early on to only hire employees that were super passionate uh, about you know, helping get people out of cars or just passionate about riding around on, on the birds. I think uh, I think if you're hiring and we, we scaled from one employee to you know, well over a thousand in about a year and a half. And so when you scale that, that quickly from an employee standpoint, you, you can have culture problems if you're not careful. And so I found the number one way to keep a strong culture is to make sure people are, are very mission driven and passionate about the service as part of the interview process. Uh, so that's kind of internal culture, maybe difference. Um, as far as scaling, um, we do, you know, collaborate a lot more with cities than than I think we did back in the ride-hailing da- days, uh, which I think is a big, you know, a big difference. And so, how do you organize
1: a thousand people in a year and a half? I mean, that's that's such a, you know, uh, you know, I don't know how many people in the room have scaled a company from 100 to a thousand, more than 1,000 people in a year and a half, but that's. That's, ins- yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot of, of people, uh, you know, the 10x growth in, in, in a year, you know, in 18 months. How do you organize, you know, how do you maintain structure? How do you maintain, you know, clear reporting lines? How do people know what to do when they show up the first day at, at work? How, how, does that, how does that work?
0: Yeah, it, it has been one of the bigger challenges in the business. You know, I think it's, it's very easy, I think, to run a scooter company in one city uh, especially if you're willing to, you know, lose a lot of money for for a ride. Um, the challenge, the challenge here is really actually scaling a global uh, scooter micro mobility company incredibly fast, while also making money per ride and having strong unit economics, which of course investors uh, care a lot about. But also being able to scale the the employee side, which of course, if you don't have great employees, um, you won't be a, a great world class company. And so that's something very very important to us. And we. We had had the luxury of seeing very fast growth you know, at, at Lyft. I was, I was their you know, kind of top 20 employee and helped scale that company. And then, and then at Uber, we scaled pretty aggressively as well. So we were able to tap into some of the old you know, kind of talent from, from the ride hill days. That, but it is rare to find managers that have seen that kind of rapid, rapid scale. It is a, a different skill set. And,
1: and, and how do you manage to keep – obviously, you've got a lot of central functions – uh, you know, in terms of you know, product design, hardware, engineering, and some marketing. And obviously, it's a very local business, so you do need some level of, of autonomy on, on the ground. But So how do you decide which functions go in Paris versus LA? And, 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 and what do you centralize, what do you leave to the, to the local guys?
0: Uh, Yeah, it's always a balance between what's local and what's regional and then what's centralized. The way I think about it is the GM on the ground ultimately kind of makes the decision because we've, you know, headquarters will build the technology platform and give them, you know, try to give the cities the tools to be successful, but ultimately uh, the person on the ground has the most insight into, you know, how the operations should work and they should be able to, uh, hopefully our technology allows them to configure the city properly. Uh, But if not, you know, we've we've hired a great operational team and they tend to be very creative uh, about how do they they quickly react to, you know, things on the ground before. Usually the uh, as you can imagine, the the tech and the product stuff trails behind the what the city needs actually are, Uh, especially when you're operating in over 120 cities uh, and over 100 college campuses globally.
1: Wow. Any, any final piece of advice for the entrepreneurs in, in, in the room who are
0: just getting, getting started or, or thinking about bringing their ideas to market? Um, yeah, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is probably, you know, if you're, if you're looking to start a company or you have started a company, um, I, I, would, I would highly recommend you find one that you're super passionate about because, uh, as you know, it's very difficult. It's easy to start a company. It's a whole other thing to, to kind of scale it for years and try to make it successful. It's a lot of hard work, and so uh, I'm super passionate about Bird, which makes me excited to get up every morning and continue to to work on it, and I think uh, I have started companies in the past where after a few months I was just not very passionate about it, and and it is difficult, and so for me, uh, I think that's the number one thing when you're trying to just just starting out with trying to figure out what do you want to do. I think just think about what you're passionate about. Right. Thanks, Travis. That was a great conversation. Thanks for having me.
2: Two amazing guys and a super insightful conversation. I hope you liked it. Please listen to other episodes we have because there is actually really, really good stuff. Also, feel free to rate, comment and share the podcast. We have a YouTube channel. We have a medium where we post a lot of articles and obviously a website where you can apply to the family and join us. Because if you listen to stuff like this, it means that deeply you want to create something bigger than yourself. You want to change the European ecosystem and the family is the place to be.